Andrew Womack Ministries presents part four in the Spirit, Soul, and Body series, a four-part album. This teaching by Andrew is titled, The Spirit Versus the Flesh. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. This is our fourth and final tape in our Spirit, Soul, and Body series. And real quickly, let me just summarize a couple of things. I know that sometimes people don't listen to all four tapes in succession. It might be that you've slept since then. And really, everything I'm going to teach here is dependent on some of the previous points that we've made. So to summarize this, on this tape, we're going to just contrast the flesh and the spirit. Now, there will need to be some definition. I'm going to give that to you in just a moment. But basically, this is the rest of the Christian life. Once a person gets born again, your spirit is perfect. It doesn't need to grow up. It doesn't need to be completed. It is perfect. One-third of your salvation is as complete right now as it will ever be. Your spirit will never have to be changed. It won't have to grow up, mature, have anything added to it. It won't have to be cleansed from defilement because you've been sealed, and any type of sin or defilement does not penetrate to the spirit realm. It's just in the physical and the soulish realm, and we're going to receive a new glorified body, and our soul will be instantly changed when we see the Lord. But right now, your spirit is already changed. And so, really, the rest of the Christian life, once you get born again, is learning how to walk in the spirit. In other words, to let what God has done for you through this new birth, let that dominate you instead of let your physical, emotional realm dominate you. And that really is how simple the Christian life is. Now, it's not easy. One of the hardest things you will ever do is learn how to turn from your physical, natural self dominating you and start letting who you are in Christ dominate you. Because hearkening all the way back to our very first teaching, one of the main points that I was making was that you cannot see or feel the Spirit. You have to perceive it only by faith in what God's Word says. John 6.63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And it also says in James chapter 1 that when you look into the word of God, it's like looking into a mirror, a spiritual mirror. So the only way you can really know what is true about you and who you are in the spirit is not by some feeling. It's just by believing God's word. And to shift from where you are walking by sight to where you start walking by faith, is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We walk not by sight, but by faith. And to do that is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But it really is that simple. All we've got to do is start basing our thoughts, our actions, our identity on who we are in Christ instead of the physical, natural realm. And so the Bible calls this the warfare between the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it puts it this way. In verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, I'm going to come back to this. There's a lot of material in that, but basically the point I want to make right now is that this is showing you that there is a conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And it says these are contrary. That word contrary means that they're opposed. They're enemies. They're adversaries. 
your flesh just gravitates towards being dominated what it, by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, your five senses. And therefore, it is gravitating towards Satan and his kingdom because Satan operates in the physical realm. He is flesh-oriented. He operates through the carnal, physical, natural things by sight. He tempts people with things that they see. God, on the other hand, operates through the spirit realm, primarily the word of God, revealing his spiritual truth and reality. And so there is this conflict, and you just cannot do what you want to do. You are either going to let the flesh dominate, or you are going to let the spirit dominate you. Here's some other scriptures on this. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 8, it says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It didn't say it's just hard to please God. It you didn't say that you don't do as well pleasing God. It says that if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Now, that's a radical statement. And if that be true, which of course it is, then that means we have to identify what the flesh is and we have to get rid of that flesh. We cannot operate in the flesh. Now, that's a powerful teaching, and that's what we're going to be talking about on this tape. Here's some other scriptures that go along with that. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, this is not only talking about the ultimate physical death where your spirit and soul separate from your body, but, you know, any type of uh, of result of sin is a form of death. It will ultimately lead to physical death, but I, the point I'm making is that depression, discouragement, anger, bitterness, fear, worry, loneliness, all of those are death. Death isn't only ceasing to exist or ceasing to breathe, but death in the Bible is used as anything that came as a result of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So anything that came as a result of sin, sickness, disease, poverty, loneliness, anger, bitterness, anything like that is death. And it says if you live after the flesh, you shall die. You will be depressed. You will be discouraged. You will be sick. You will be poor. The key or the inroad that Satan uses to accomplish his warfare in our life is this flesh. And if we live after the flesh, we shall die. Now, let me just define some things for you. The word flesh, it literally comes from the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. And here is what the Strong's Concordance defines flesh as. It says flesh, and then in parentheses, as stripped of the skin. In other words, this is talking about you've got a sore in your flesh. You probably would use the word skin, but one of the meanings of the word flesh in the Bible is to refer to your epidermis, I think is what it is, if I remember my science right. It's your skin. It's just talking about the flesh that covers the bones and the muscles, etc., of your body. Now, it can be just referring to nothing but your physical, tangible flesh, the part of you that if you get a thorn in it, if you cut yourself, it bleeds. And it is used that way sometimes, but predominantly, especially like in the book of Romans that we're going to be spending some time in, in all of Paul's writings, the word flesh predominantly is not referring to the skin that's stretched over your body, 
but rather it's referring to something more than that, not something that's tangible, but rather it's actually referring to your soul and spirit combination. A little bit more detail than that, I'll be giving you some more definition. The Strong's Concordance goes on to define it as not only the flesh as stripped of the skin, but it says that is strictly the meat of an animal. Now that's still referring to the same thing. Then it goes on to say, or by extension, the body as opposed to the soul or the spirit. It says, or the symbol of what is external, or as the means of kindred. So what this is talking about, it's defining something more than just your physical skin on your body, but it's referring to the physical realm. The flesh can be used to refer to the physical realm. And then it goes on to say, or by implication, human nature with its frailties, physical or moral, and passions are a human being. In other words, the word flesh here can refer to a whole lot of things, from just the skin that's covering your body, to referring to the physical realm, to referring to the nature of a physical human being, or a human being in total. And so anyway, you really have to judge by the context to tell exactly what the word flesh is meaning in that instance. Let me just throw something else in before we get away from the definition of flesh that in the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, my study of that has shown me that they nearly always substitute the word flesh that's in the King James Bible, and they translate it as the sinful nature. And that's the way that it's used many times in the book of Romans and other places that I've studied it. And even though that may work to some degree, I think that it's, it's an interpretation. The word sarx that was translated flesh is exactly what I've told you right here. It is more than just the sinful nature. It can be interpreted in many different ways. And so I think that the use of the NIV translating this as sinful nature could actually mislead people. And let me explain that. The reason I say this is because I believe that the flesh, as used in these scriptures, is referring basically to all of us that is not born again and not under the control and the domination of the Spirit of God. Now, that certainly excludes the Spirit because the Spirit is always in relationship with God. It's been sanctified and perfected forever. But you know what? In your soulish realm, your soul can begin to come under the control of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to use some of these scriptures in Romans chapter 8. It says you can walk after the Spirit. That means that your spirit can begin to start dominating your thoughts, your emotions, even your physical body. And here's the point I'm trying to get across. Let me just turn over here to Romans chapter 6 and make this point as Paul made it. In Romans chapter 6, he was teaching about the grace of God, that God is not dealing with us based on our performance, and so this raised the question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course, the answer to this in verse 2, it says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, what does this mean that we are dead to sin? This is not saying that a Christian can not sin. Now, we dealt with this on that second tape out of 1 John chapter 3, where it says that whosoever is born of God cannot sin. That's not talking about that with your actions, your physical body, and your mind, that you never do anything that's sinful. 
But it's talking about the part of you that's born again is your spirit, and it can not sin. So, again, I think that if you would just think this through, this has to be talking about your spirit. That it's your spirit that was born again. And it says, don't you realize that you are dead to sin? Not dead to sin in your actions, in your thought life, but in your spirit. It can not sin. It does not have any sin in it. And again, you could back that up by Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 14, that that spirit has been sanctified and perfected forever. And so this is talking about that the spirit is dead to sin. It cannot sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this either. There are so many doctrinal issues raised here that I could spend a lot of time verifying every single point. I pray that you can follow this through. But I do not believe that this is talking about water baptism. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about being baptized into the body of Christ And the Holy Spirit is the baptizer in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 into the body of Christ. When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Jesus is the baptizer. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And so there are different baptizers and there are different elements that you're being baptized into. And then there's a water baptism where after you profess faith in Christ, you should follow the Lord and be water baptized where you're physically dunked under the water as a symbol of what's taking place. But here in Romans chapter 6, this is talking about the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That happens when a person becomes born again. It You just automatically get put in Christ, and Christ gets put in you. And you receive the Spirit of Christ, and he receives you. And this is what it's talking about. When that baptism took place, you were baptized into his death. In verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now notice that the baptism to death with Christ is automatic, but walking in newness of life and manifesting this is something that should happen. It's not automatic. Here's my interpretation of this, that in the Spirit, your spirit died to sin. Your spirit cannot sin. It has no desire for sin, but... It doesn't automatically mean that your soul and that your body are going to reflect that change. It's dependent on how you renew your mind. In verse 5 it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. In other words, when you get born again, the baptism into his death, the death to sin is automatic. It's something that takes place. Your spirit is dead unto sin, but... You walking in resurrection life is dependent upon you knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him. Now, the term old man here is referring to the spirit that a person had prior to salvation. And again, this is such an involved teaching that I could go to many scriptures. You'll have to really search this out on your own, but if you will use this as a guideline, I think that you'll find it, that the term old man is referring to your spirit realm that was dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the point I'm trying to make. You do not have an old spirit. That spirit that you had in you before you were born again, it does not still exist. It's been crucified. It's dead. 
Now, some people teach that you have the old spirit, you have the new spirit, and then you have the Holy Spirit somewhere inside there, and then you have the spirit of Christ. If you were to take all that literally and add it up, it could be as many as four spirit realms dwelling inside of your spirit. Man, that's worse than being schizophrenic. That's multiple personalities. You know, I do not believe that that's what the Scripture teaches. Now, this is the prevalent teaching in the body of Christ probably today is that you have an old nature and a new nature. But here's what I believe, and again, I don't have time to verify this completely. I could teach an entire series on this. And I'm wanting to get on to some other things and show you how to overcome the flesh. But first of all, we have to define this. When it's talking about this old nature, the flesh, as the NIV translated, is the sinful nature. And I believe that that is too much interpretation. It's not just a sinful nature. When you get born again, that old nature is crucified, dead, gone. And in its place, God gives you a brand new spirit. And you become a new creature. And that spirit is united with Christ so that actually there is no difference between your born again spirit and the spirit of Christ that was sent into your heart. You literally have become one with him, as we've already taught out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. So you just have one spirit. You do not have the new spirit and the old spirit and then the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Christ and all of these things. Your born-again spirit replaced the old spirit. The old spirit is dead and gone. And you only have that new born-again spirit that is identical to Jesus. You've become one so that the two have made one new person. And then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. But you just have that one spirit. Now, some people, if you've really studied this out, you will immediately be thinking, but wait a minute. That can't be because I still have a propensity for sin, a desire to sin. It seems like there's something inside of me that drives me to sin. It seems like it's easier to sin in some ways. People, just by logic, they embrace this concept of having an old nature that drives them to sin. But right here in Romans chapter 6, I believe that you can see the key that will explain this. It says, first of all, you have to know that your old man is crucified with him. Then the body of sin has to be destroyed. Now here's the way I explain this. That when a person dies physically... The scripture says in James chapter 2, verse 26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The scripture says that what causes physical death is when your spirit leaves your body. And when that happens, that person is no longer alive. But you know what? Even though that they are dead, you still have that physical body. And it takes a period of time for it to begin to start deteriorating, decaying. But for a brief period of time there, your physical body could look exactly the same as it did when the Spirit indwelt it and there was life in there. But when the Spirit leaves, it leaves behind a body. And I actually had a friend of mine who used to work in Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas, and he told a story one time. He worked in the morgue section of that, and he was on the 13th floor of Parkland Hospital working in the morgue and he said that he pulled a man out on a slab who was already dead and he was in there for an autopsy I believe it was and he turned around to do something and when he turned back around this man sat up his eyes opened up his mouth dropped open and he was sitting up with his arms dangling at his side 
And this man said that he nearly jumped right out that 13th story window. It scared him so bad. He went running down the hall, got somebody to come in. They looked at the man, checked for any vital signs, and basically just pushed him back down. And they told him, that said, sometimes, you know, when a person has just died, that there still will be electrical impulses. Their muscles can contract, and they could sit up like that. But he wasn't alive. There was no life in him. It was just the body still had some of the mannerisms of life, but the truth is the real life was gone. Now, the point I'm making is that when you get born again, according to this scripture and there's others, you became dead unto sin. Your old man died. Your old man is crucified. But the reason you still feel a desire are a drawing towards sin is not because the old sin nature that compelled you to sin is present any longer, but rather it's because your old sin nature left behind the body. And I'm not talking about just your physical body here, but I'm saying it left behind the effects of the old man in your life is an unrenewed mind. You were taught how to be selfish. You were taught how to operate in anger. You were taught how to lust. You were taught how to use your mouth to criticize and to cause problems and to do things. You were taught how to do the sins that you do. And now the old nature that was literally a the nature of the devil is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You are by nature the children of the devil. Now, that old nature is gone when you get born again. But you know what? It left behind an unrenewed mind that is very similar to a computer. Your mind was programmed by your old nature, how to be selfish and angry and bitter and all this kind of stuff, greedy and how to lust and and do all of these things. And it will continue to function under the programming that was put into it until you renew your mind. Now, this is a radical truth because here's the benefit of what I'm saying. If a person thinks that they have an old nature on the inside of them and then they have a new nature, well, what it's going to do is make them think that they're schizophrenic, that they have two people on the inside. It's not accurate to say that you have two natures. Now, you do have two minds. You have the mind of the Spirit, which is always for God, and it's always thinking who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, what you can do in Christ. But then you have your physical mind, and like I was teaching on our last tape, the key is getting to where those two harmonize, to where you subject the mind that's in your body, your soulish mind, and you get it renewed to the point that you begin to think in your physical mind like you think in your spiritual mind. You do have two minds. But you do not have two natures. The only nature that's inside of you is the nature of God. You have been made a brand new person. If you just were to take a person who got born again, and if they were tapped in to the spirit realm and could just listen to who they are in Christ and let the Holy Spirit instruct them, and if they didn't have any outside influence, somebody telling them something different, no demonic influence, well, then you would just naturally begin to start radiating and manifesting the life of God in your actions and in your thoughts, and everything would be perfect. But you know what? It's not that simple. We do have an enemy that is lying to us. We've all been programmed wrong, and we've got to reprogram ourselves. And we've got friends 
relatives, sad to say even many times, religious people who are telling us that, oh no, you don't have this. You're an old sinner saved by grace. You can't do these things. And they're constantly there telling us things contrary to what the Spirit would say to us. And because of that, we only manifest the life of God that's in our spirit to varying degrees based on how we renew our minds, etc. Your mind is the determining factor. Your spirit is always for God. Your flesh is basically always being led around by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And your mind gets to choose. Are you going to let the flesh, the physical realm, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, dominate you? Or are you going to let the spirit dominate you? Your mind is the deciding vote. It casts that deciding vote. And if you don't renew it, then it'll just go with what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, the physical senses. But if you'll get into the Word of God and mix it with faith, it can be led by the Spirit. And that scripture we used in Galatians chapter 5, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, again, your mind is very similar to a computer. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember specifically trying to button my shirt. I don't know why this was a problem for me, but I mean, when I was a little kid, it seemed like every time I'd start to button my shirt, I'd get it wrong. And when I got down to the bottom, I'd realize I had it buttoned incorrectly, and I'd have to go back and redo it. It just seemed like that was a problem for me. And yet right now, you can't see this, but I'm wearing a shirt. And you know what? It's buttoned correctly, and I didn't have to do it more than once. It, I've gotten now to where I can button my own shirt. I know that nobody else dressed me, so I had to have done it, but I don't remember doing it. It's like it was my nature. It just came naturally. The point that I'm making is you can mistakenly think that something that just comes so naturally is your nature. There's something in you that causes you to act that way when the truth is it's a taught, acquired trait. And that's the point that I'm making. The reason that we still do some of the things we do. It's not because there is a nature that forces us to do it. That was true before we got born again. But now the only thing that forces us to live the way we do is the fact that we have not renewed our mind. We have acted out these negative things that our old nature taught us before we got born again. We've done it so many times, and it's being reinforced by the carnal world around us that many of us mistakenly think it's our nature. I'm just evil on the inside. No, you're born again, and you are not evil. You have the Spirit of God, and the only reason that you continue to act evil or to think evil or to lust evil is because you have not reprogrammed your mind. See, now this is tremendous to me, because it means that there is no demonic power on the inside of me that I'm warring against. God has set me free. I am free from that. My old man is gone, and I have been set free. And the only reason I'm not manifesting that freedom in every single area of my life is not because I'm not free, but rather it's because I'm ignorant of my freedom. I have not renewed my mind. I still am being dominated by the flesh in some ways. Now, I've experienced a tremendous amount of victory in this, but I'm still in the process and so is everyone listening to me. This really just sets me free. I pray that you're getting this. So the flesh is not really describing a sinful nature. Your sinful nature is gone when you get born again. But the flesh is describing 
Every part of you, every thought of you, every desire, every emotion, everything about you that is not under the control of the Spirit. I think that's a more accurate way of saying it. And so the flesh, I don't think it's right to say that it's a sinful nature, but rather it's just any part of you, thought or action, that is not under the control of the Spirit. So plug this back in to Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 and 17. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, which is talking about the born-again part of you under the control of the Holy Spirit. The word Spirit here is capitalized. Some people will say, well, that doesn't mean anything. In the Greek, there weren't capital letters. I acknowledge that. But you know what? They judged whether this was talking about the Holy Spirit or your personal spirit, not necessarily by a capital letter because they didn't have that, but they judged it by the context. And the same principle, the same point was made. And so it may not have been communicated through capital letters and small case letters in the Greek, but it is communicated in the English, and the translators capitalized this because the context showed that this was talking about the Spirit. If you will walk in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God, they agree everything that is true of the Holy Spirit is also true of your born-again spirit. So, technically speaking, you could say Holy Spirit here, or you could say your born-again spirit, because they are one. He that is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.17. So if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, these unrenewed thoughts, desires, the old habits, the old patterns that were established in you through that sinful nature, they will, they will begin to just diminish. You can, you can reject them. You do not have to continue to be bound to lust to alcohol, to drugs, to hatred, to strife, to gossip, to depression, to discouragement, to sickness, disease, etc. You can break all of those things over you because in the Spirit you're already free and it's a matter of renewing your mind and beginning to see who you are in Christ. As you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Boy, what tremendous statements. Now, I want to say some other things about this, but before I get into it, I need to go back to Romans chapter 7 and deal with a passage of Scripture that I feel has been very misused. And I know that there are some of you listening to this who are thinking, well, now, wait a minute. Romans chapter 7 contradicts what you're saying. So let me explain this and deal with this, and then we'll go on and make these, these points. In Romans chapter 7, in verse... 15, Paul said this, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now it's important that he put that little parenthetical phrase in there. Because when he said, I know that in me, dwelleth no good thing. That would have been a wrong statement if he hadn't have put in, that is, in my flesh. In other words, in his spirit, there was a good thing, and that's his born-again spirit. That was the spirit of Christ that indwelt him. So to be technically correct, he couldn't just say, in me dwells no good thing. See, Paul was acknowledging that he had this born-again spirit on the inside of him. 
But he was saying that in my flesh, this external part, the unrenewed mind, my physical body, the parts of me that function independent of Christ, there is no good thing. There's nothing good about that. We're going to have to literally lay this flesh down and receive a new body and a new soul that is renewed completely and thinks exactly like God. So he says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I want not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that do I. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. See, this is the same thing that Galatians 5.17 was saying, that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary to the one to the other so that you cannot do what you want to do. That's what Paul is talking about here. He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Some people interpret what the Apostle Paul is saying as saying that he just can't do the right thing. He tries, but he just constantly is failing, failing, failing. He tries and he wants to do right, but he can't do right. And they believe that this is the Apostle Paul actually describing his present life and saying that this is the way that it is. You just have this sin nature and try as you may, you may get a little better, but you never beat it. Now that is not what the scripture is teaching. This is not the Apostle Paul saying that after all of those years, he was still lusting and into sexual sin and he was still fighting his anger and bitterness. And No, Paul is not saying that. Some people have interpreted this as saying, well, this is descriptive of him before he got born again. But now that he's born again, all of that's over with. Well, that to me would be more palatable than believing that this is describing the Apostle Paul, who he said, emulate me, follow me as I follow Christ. And yet this man is admitting that he just is constantly failing. He can't do anything right. He's just failing. Well, it's more likely that this is talking about him before he got born again, and now that he's born again, he's delivered. But actually, I don't believe it's either one of those two. You know what this is doing? It is describing the inability of the flesh, our physical ability, our mind, independent of God, our actions, our emotions, independent of God. It's describing the inability of that flesh to please God. You have to instead begin to start living from who you are in Christ, from the spirit man that is completely changed and infused with the life of God. You have to get to where the spirit begins to dominate and control you. You cannot overcome your flesh on your own. In a sense, you could say it this way. The Christian life is not difficult to live. It's impossible to live. The Lord told you that when somebody insults you, then you just bear it. If they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If they take you to the law and sue you and take away your coat, give them your cloak also. If somebody compels you to bear their burden one mile against your will, well, then go two miles. Did you know that the flesh, your natural self, independent of God, just wouldn't do stuff like that? It's just natural for any person to be self-serving, self-seeking, and promote self. And if somebody hits you on one cheek, you want to hit them back. Instead of turning your cheek, you want to hit both of their cheeks. 
Man, if they sue you at the law and take something from you, you want to sue them back. You want to hire the best lawyer. The Lord was saying to do just the opposite. That's not just hard to do. It's impossible to do. Nobody without God energizing them and giving them his compassion and his ability could ever turn the other cheek and allow people to abuse you. Like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not me that lives, but it's Christ living in me. And there is a tremendous amount of freedom and liberty when somebody smites you on one cheek instead of saying, well, I just will to love you, and you turn the other one through gritted teeth. You know, a, a better way is to say, Father, in myself, I want to knock their block off. My flesh cannot do this. That's what Paul was describing in Romans 7. But in my spirit, I know that I have the same spirit in me that Jesus had in him when he hung on the cross and he turned around to the very people who crucified him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so you read that in the Word, you believe it, and you say, Father, I don't feel it right now. I feel like slapping them. But you know what? I know that that spirit on the inside of me is the same spirit that Jesus was able to extend mercy towards the very people who mocked him and crucified him. So now, instead of my flesh dominating, I want your spirit to live. Just admit that you can't do it on your own. And instead, say, Father, you live through me. God, give me a supernatural compassion for this person. God, help me to forgive this person. In the natural, I can't do it. You know, when Peter heard the Lord teach on forgiveness, he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Until seven times? And he thought he was being very generous, saying seven times in one day. And Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know, that's 490 times. And the Lord is not saying that on the 491st time it's okay to get angry and not forgive. I, I don't believe it's possible that somebody could wrong you 491 times in one day. I believe that the point that he's making, we could have said, no, not seven times, but a million times. It was just an explanation to say that there shouldn't be any limit to your forgiveness. Now, you know what? You might be able to forgive a person some minor things once or twice or even seven times. Peter thought he might be able to do that. But the truth is the Lord is wanting you to forgive an unlimited, without any number, any limit to this. You just need to forgive totally. You know what? That's beyond your human ability. The only way you can do that is to say, Father, I can't do it, but you can. Father, you love them through me. And when you humble yourself and when you turn from your flesh, from your own natural ability, and you turn to God, you'll find out that there will be a supernatural strength flow through you. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The scripture there was talking about love, what God's kind of love was like. And it says in verse 7 that God's kind of love, charity, suffers long, and it kind of goes on in verse 4 is where it starts that. And it goes on down to verse 7, and it says, It hopes all things, endures all things, believes all things, that love, God's kind of love, never fails. Now, you know what this means? That on the inside of you, in the Spirit, you have an unlimited ability to forgive, to endure, to believe, and to hope. Unlimited. Now, I've had many people come to me and say, I've put up with this person all I can put up with. I can't take it anymore. I'm at the end of my rope. Well, if you really understand this spirit versus the flesh, if you understand that your spirit is exactly like Jesus, that it has the limitless power of Jesus, that God's supernatural love can hope, endure, believe, 
everything. There is no limits. Well, then when you come and say, I've reached the end of my limits, what you're saying is, I've come to the end of my flesh. And you know what? You should. But your spirit can take over when your flesh has had it. When you say, I can't stand it anymore, well, then that's good. What you need to do is just say, God, I'm sorry. I've been trying this in myself, and that's the reason I'm burned out. That's the reason I'm frustrated. That's the reason I'm angry. And so you say, forgive me, and then you just say, God, you live through me. I believe what your word says, that in the spirit, I am a brand new person. And then if I would walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so you just start meditating on who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ. And you say, by faith, this is who I choose to believe I am. And you'll find out that when that happens, you're renewing your mind. And your mind is coming into agreement. Your physical mind is coming into agreement with your spiritual mind. And when that happens, this supernatural life that's in your spirit will begin to flow through your soul and into your body. And you can literally begin to hope, endure, believe in things that you couldn't have done in your natural self. You know, I've been able to love people who've spit in my face in the natural, my flesh, could not do that. But you know what? I've literally done that recently in the last few years. As I was witnessing to a guy, he spit in my face. I've had people come at me and try and physically attack me. I've had people threaten to kill me. And I can tell you that I literally have nothing against them. No evil thoughts. I never spend any time thinking about this. I've even had some some of my peers, some very well-known ministers, come out and call me of the devil, etc., and I don't have anything against them. I've loved them. I've sent people to their church. I've sent them offerings. You know what? That is not natural. That is not flesh. That's spirit. And every last one of us have the ability to do that, and of course, much, much more. But we've got to recognize that you cannot please God if you are in the flesh, if you are living by your own ability. And that literally is what Romans 7 is describing. It's not saying that this is the typical Christian life to be defeated and have all of these things, and I just can't do what I want to. No, that is the typical carnal life, fleshly life. If you are living in the flesh, then you cannot please God. You cannot overcome these things. You cannot turn the other cheek. You cannot forgive an unlimited number of times. That's what he's saying. And see, he ends that chapter, Romans chapter 7 says, in verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, talking about his flesh, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That goes right along with what I was saying in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, where it says that the old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed. In other words, the unrenewed mind, the tendencies, the habits, that they have to be renewed and destroyed. He says, who's going to deliver me from this flesh, is what he's talking about. And then in the next verse, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the way that deliverance comes is through the Spirit, through who you are in Christ. And then he goes right into the 8th chapter, and he says, there is therefore, the word therefore is referring back to what was said previously. In other words, he was saying the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, you've got to be in the Spirit. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's the only part of you that is in Christ Jesus is your spirit. And if you are in the Spirit, there is no condemnation to you whatsoever. It's gone. The Spirit is not condemned. There is no judgment. There's nothing against your spirit. And so in Romans chapter 8... 
the word spirit is used 21 times. In Romans chapter 7, in contrast, where Paul was talking about this flesh and the inability of the flesh, the word spirit is only used one time, and in that instance, it's not talking about a part of your anatomy like your born-again spirit, but it's talking about a mental attitude, disposition. So here's the point. Romans chapter 7 is without the spirit. A person trying to please God just through gutting it out. And then, oh, God, I'm trying to do better and I want to do better. But you're living out of your own ability. You cannot please God. And the Romans chapter 7 is full of frustration and full of I can't and I want to, but I can't. But in Romans chapter 8, it is one of the most victorious chapters in the Bible because it's written from the spirit perspective. So this is what Romans 7 is doing. It's not saying that this is typical of the Christian life. This is saying it's how impossible it is to serve God in your flesh, in your natural self. You've got to get over into the Spirit. And, you know, that's the reason that this teaching on spirit, soul, and body has helped me so much. Because how can you live in the Spirit if you don't have the concept that it's your spirit that was changed? And then you begin to start understanding who you are in Christ and how that what you have in Christ does not fluctuate based on your performance. How can you release something that you don't know or believe that you have? And then once you understand it, you have to reject the flesh and choose the Spirit, and choose to walk by who you are in Christ and not who you are in your natural self. Another way of saying this is you need to change your identity. And you need to get a very good image of who you are in Christ and let that become the real you. You know, I have seen God do a miracle in my life in this, and there's literally thousands of things I could illustrate, but one of them is that I was a total introvert before I really got turned on to the Lord. I mean, I couldn't look at a person in the face, couldn't talk to them without just stammering, and I was nervous and introverted, and now God has me speaking to millions of people on television, radio, in meetings. I've ministered, I don't know, to at least 5,000 people at one time, and through radio and television, many more than that. And you know what? I don't have any fear. It doesn't even bother me. I don't even think about it. Now, how could that happen? Do you know what? My flesh is still the same as it was. I still have a tendency to be an introvert. Without the Lord's anointing in my life, the times that I'm not really focused on the Lord and that you know somebody just catches me when I'm in the flesh, you know what? I just... Um, I still have a tendency to be an introvert, to withdraw, to not exert myself. I just as soon sit in the background. My flesh is not changed. Most people think that when they get born again, what they're doing is improving their flesh. That's not the way the Christian life works. You do not improve your flesh, your natural self. What you do is you get better and better at denying yourself. You get better at choosing not to be your old self. And you you get better and better at recognizing who you are in Christ, your new identity, and letting those thoughts and those actions come up. You know, if I take a test now, one of those personality tests, I always score, I mean maximum, 10 out of 10, I'll always be an extrovert in every category. And that's who I've chosen to be. That's who I've become through Christ. That's who my new born-again spirit is. But if you could somehow or another test me without taking my godly reactions, and if you just took my physical emotions and feelings, my preferences, I'd still turn out to be an introvert. 
You know what? In the natural, you do not change. What you do is you don't get stronger to where you don't need the Spirit as much as when you first started out. But rather, if you really understand the Christian life, you get weaker and weaker in your flesh, and you get to where you depend more and more upon the Spirit. You become stronger in the Spirit, but weaker in the flesh. That's what we're talking about. That there's this contradiction. Galatians chapter 5 says that the Spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you will indulge the Spirit, if you will begin to start focusing on who you are in Christ and meditating on this, changing your identity from your old carnal self, what you see in the mirror, your past experiences, and instead, if you will go to basing your identity and your potential on what God says about you, who you are in Christ, you know what? You will find out that you will break the control of the flesh. It will still be there but you will break its control. It will yield itself. It will bow the knee and let the spirit man begin to dominate you. Again, I could testify to this so many times. In myself, I am not a bold person. You know, when it comes to traveling on the airlines, if something goes wrong, there are some people that, boy, will just stand up. They'll go up there and they'll demand their way and they'll push their way through. You know, I'm not that way at all. I've actually got some of those travel agent cards And I'll go up and ask, you know, do you have any free upgrades or stuff? And they nearly always, 99 times out of 100, will try and put you off and say no. And you have to push yourself to get those discounts. Well, I actually gave up my travel agent cards because I'm not a pushy person. I just don't do stuff. I do not exert myself. And yet when it comes to spiritual matters, in anything I think that counts and matters, did you know I can be very bold and very assertive? I've had people challenge me in services before. I've had things come to me that I mean it's like the spirit of might comes upon me. That's out of my spirit, man. But my flesh is still basically timid and shy. You know what? You don't ever get rid of your flesh. You just get to where you learn how to deny it and not live from your flesh, but live from your spirit. Man, that is so powerful. I just pray that God has given you a revelation of what I'm saying. Notice here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now here's another thing I want to point out, and this is very significant. Most people read this verse and see it kind of backwards. They see that the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to the other, and so they assume that the way to get into the Spirit is to deny my flesh. In other words, here's another way of saying it. If I can just quit doing this, if I can reject the flesh and overcome the flesh, and if I can deal with all of these things and stop doing these wrong things, having these wrong thoughts, then I'll be in the Spirit. No, it says just the opposite. It didn't say that walk in the flesh and you will hinder the Spirit, or it didn't say overcome the flesh and then you will walk in the Spirit. No, it said just the opposite. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't overcome the flesh just in your willpower trying to put it down. And this is what many people are doing. They don't really accept who they are in Christ until they're able to overcome their drinking and their cussing and their smoking and overcome these habits. They just don't think that God really will release that power. That's not so. You know what? You can get into the Word of God. 
and you can begin to recognize who you are in Christ even when you still have problems in you. And if you could begin to start seeing who you are in Christ and focusing on that, then that reality, this new identity in your spirit would begin to start dominating you to such a degree that it would break the control of the flesh over you. Man, that is a radical truth. You need to recognize that when you confess Jesus is your Lord, you became a brand new person on the inside. You need to meditate on that. And as you walk in who you are in Christ, you'll find out that that will deliver you from these physical problems in the exterior. Let me give a testimony to you of a good friend of mine. I won't give his name, but he's very well known. And many of you probably know who he is, but it's his testimony. I'll let him tell you who he is. But nonetheless, this man was an entertainer. He wrote some real famous songs that probably most of you have heard. And he got born again while he was still an entertainer in the secular realm. And he got so excited about the Lord that, man, he started reading these things about how God loved him. And he would get up after a concert. They'd go until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Then he'd get on his bus with his musicians, and they'd take off for their next gig And he was so excited, he wanted to read these things, but he was sleepy. And so you know what he would do? He would put cocaine on the pages of his Bible and snort cocaine to keep him awake so that he could read the Bible and find out about how much God loved him. Now, I know some of you are probably just flipping out and saying, what are you saying? Are you saying it's okay to take cocaine? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not a good thing. It'll mess up your physical body. It keeps you from functioning at your peak. No, I'm not advocating, but I'm saying that he broke the dominion of that. He's now a pastor. He's been a pastor for 20-something years, and this man overcame that. But you know how he did it? He didn't quit all of the fleshly things first, but rather he got into the Word of God while he was still living in sin, snorting cocaine and still traveling and doing some of these ungodly things. But you know what? That didn't keep him from beginning to learn who he was in Christ and what God had done. And as those things became reality to him, it finally came to a place that God let him out of that lifestyle, let him out of being a secular entertainer and let him into the ministry and things worked out. Most of us are wanting to clean the fish before we catch them. But you know what? God wants you to just come to him as you are. You get born again and changed. And then as you renew your mind and find out who you are in Christ, you'll find out that you'll just change naturally as a result. If you would start walking in the Spirit, regardless of what your flesh is like, if you would start focusing your attention on the things of God, then you would find out that you would break the dominion of the flesh over you. Here's another way of saying it. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says, But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You want to know whether you are after the Spirit or after the flesh? This verse makes it very clear. You can tell where you are by what your attention is on. Are you thinking only on physical things? You know, say, for instance, in the area of healing. If the doctor says you're going to die, are you more dominated by what the doctor says? Are you uh, imagining and anticipating a sickness, disease, death, or whatever? Is that where your focus is? Or... Are you focused on the scriptures that says, you know, by his stripes you were healed, that he's taken away all sickness, he heals all diseases? Are you focused on the spirit or are you focused on the flesh? If you're focused, if your mind 
is stayed on the things of the flesh, then you're in the flesh. You cannot please God. You will not be able to succeed. You will die physically, even though you have this born-again life on the inside of you. Your mind is, is the focus. Whatever it's focused on determines whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit. That's really simple. This whole tape, I've been making the point that it's the flesh versus the spirit. And which one wins? How do you get the spirit to dominate and control the flesh? It just basically is dependent upon where your focus is, where your thoughts are. And I'm not talking about just quality time focused on the things of God. It has to be quality and quantity time. You need to learn to keep your mind stayed upon God. That's what it's talking about. In verse 6 it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you'll remember back at the very first of this tape, I was talking about the Greek word for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X. Did you know that that exact same word was translated carnally minded here? That's what that word is. In other words, you could say this, to be fleshly minded is death. That's what it's talking about. So here again is another way of looking at and explaining understanding flesh. Flesh is just talking about carnal. You know the word carnal literally means of the five senses. In other words, you know, it comes from a word carne. And when you talk about chili con carne, that's talking about chili with meat. It's talking about flesh. It's talking about, you know, you meathead. It's what it's talking about. So when it's talking about being carnally minded, it's talking about fleshly, physical, outward minded instead of spiritual minded. It's talking about being dominated by your five senses. If your body is facing sickness and if you are more in tune, more sensitive to what you feel than what you believe, then you're carnal. Or you could say you're in the flesh. Whatever your mind is dominated and controlled by determines where you are, whether you are in the spirit or whether you are in the flesh. Or after the flesh is actually the right terminology. So it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, again, your mind is the determining factor. The way you get into the spirit is beginning to start focusing your attention on the word of God and what it says about you, what it says you have, what it says you can do, instead of letting the devil tell you you can't do it and what somebody else says you're going to die and your bank account, you're in the red and you're in trouble. You've got to get to where you believe God's report more than you believe the report of this world. When you get to where God's word dominates you more than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, more than your five senses, then you're getting in the spirit. And once you do that, you'll find out it'll break the dominion and the power and the control of the flesh over you. Again, there are so many examples that I could give of this, but in the area of physical healing, I know that when I first saw this, I recognized, I came to realize that physical healing was purchased for us through the atonement of the Lord. That it's not an addition to salvation. It's not like an addendum. It's not just a PS to salvation. It is an integral part of what Jesus died to produce. He died for my physical healing just like he died for my forgiveness of sins. Now I saw that, but you know what? That didn't mean that I automatically profited from it. Actually, there was a conflict. As soon as I saw that, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, that once you're enlightened, 
you endure a great fight of affliction. What that's saying is that Satan comes against the word of God. That's what it says in Mark chapter 4. He comes against the word of God with afflictions and persecutions, trying to steal the word from you, and he'll do it when you're at your youngest, when it's new to you, before it's rooted and established. And so this is what happened to me. I saw that it was God's will to heal, that it was a part of the atonement, that the Lord would no more put sickness on me than he would lead me into sin. He redeemed me from both of those things. Now, I saw that truth, but you know what? Immediately, Satan came against me, and I started experiencing sickness more than I ever had before. And there was immediately this conflict between flesh and spirit. The spirit said, by his stripes you were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. It was already done. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead was already on the inside of me. In my spirit, I had resurrection power on the inside. But my flesh was saying, man, you're sick. You are about to throw up. You feel terrible. Admit it. There was a conflict between what I saw in my spirit through the word of God and what I felt in my physical body. And the flesh and the spirit fought against each other. And you know what? It wasn't some nature on the inside of me that was trying to make me disbelieve God. It was just my old, unrenewed mind. You know, for a number of years, my old man taught me how to believe only what I could see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and that anything else was stupid. And that's the way my mind was programmed, and my body was telling me that I hurt. Other people were telling me I looked bad. Everything in my physical, natural realm, in the flesh, was telling me that I was sick. And I had a struggle to get my mind to believe what I couldn't see. And, you know, some of you will think that this is ridiculous, and I'll say this, that it doesn't have to be this way with you. It'll be different with every individual. But with me, I was so committed that what God said about me was true, that I was going to make myself believe it. I was going to get to where I believed what I saw in God's Word more than what I saw with my physical eyes. And I remember an instance when I lived in Seagoville, Texas, that I was preaching healing. I had the revelation. But you know what? I was sick in my body. And Satan was fighting me, and this flesh and spirit were in, you know, button heads. And I remember one night I was not going to just lay in bed because I know that the Scripture said that faith without works is dead. So I wasn't going to kill my faith by giving in to it and acting sick. So I didn't lay in bed and act sick. But I was so sick I could not stand up. I mean, it was physically impossible. So I didn't lay in bed. What I had to do was get on the floor. And I was so sleepy, and I was tired and stuff, but I didn't want to just give in to it. Man, I was fighting this sickness. Then I literally remember one whole night getting in my living room so that Jamie could go ahead and sleep. And I got in our living room on a wooden floor, put my Bible in front of me, and to stay awake... If I would have just stopped, I probably would have fallen over out of exhaustion. But man, I was determined I was going to fight this thing. I spent hours just quoting the scriptures and reading, by his stripes, I was healed. My body said, no, you aren't. The word said, yes, you are. And I mean, this fight went on for hours. And to stay awake, I literally was on my hands and knees and I was pushing my Bible around the room and moving so that I could stay awake. Now, some of you think, oh, that is fanatical. You don't have to do that. Well, I'm saying you don't have to do it the way I did, but you do have to overcome that conflict. 
And I think that for most people, it's like it was with me. It's not something that you just say, all right, I see the truth, so now flesh, I renounce you, and I go by the Spirit. No, it's going to be a traumatic experience when you turn around and head the other direction. Your mind, your emotions that have been indulged and that have always been said, whatever you can see is more real than what you cannot see, there's going to be a conflict. And it's probably not going to happen in just one night's time. You know, that was a major break. It was like a crack in the dam that started letting the spirit realm begin to dominate me instead of the flesh. But it's a process, and I'm still dealing with those same things. I'm, I've grown a lot. I'm seeing tremendous victory in my life, and I'm able to help other people. But you know what? I still deal with the same thing. I'm still in the process of renewing my mind. There is this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the way that you overcome it is just like these verses are saying. You have to not be mindful of the flesh, but instead be mindful of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, which again, John 6, 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you would be minded according to what God's word, the New Testament, says about you, how you are a spirit, you're completely changed. You are eternal and sanctified and perfected forever. And that as Jesus is, so are you. You have the same resurrection power in your spirit that it took to raise Jesus from the dead. And if you would dominate yourself with those thoughts, you know, all it would produce is life and peace. If you're having some other result in your life except life and peace, then you're something other than spiritually minded. Now, you may be desiring the right things. You may be praying. You may be begging God for it. But you don't get victory through begging for it, desiring it, wanting it. You do it by focusing your attention on the Spirit. And when you do that, I mean, there's this conflict between flesh and spirit. And it takes effort. It takes a lot of effort to overcome that. And it takes a real focus on the things of God. You know, here is my own opinion, and I'll offer this to you as opinion. But I believe that a person who's just plugged into the world through the radio, through television, through newspapers, through magazines, if you read and think everything that your unbelieving neighbors think, then I don't think you're going to get any different results. You may be able to add to that a devotion, and you might have the knowledge that, yes, God wants you to be healed, that God wants to prosper you, that God wants to deliver you from your oppression. You might have that knowledge, and you may have a desire and a sensitivity to God that your neighbors don't have. But as far as results, you will not experience really any more of the miraculous power of God in your life than your unbelieving neighbor if you think on the same thing. Again, that's what these verses are saying. If you are after the flesh, you mind the things of the flesh. You could say it this way. If you mind the things of the flesh, then you will be after the flesh. The flesh will dominate you. And again, I refer to scriptures like Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. It says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot operate in the victory that's available to you. You have to overcome the flesh by being in the spirit. You have to focus on the things of the spirit. So let me summarize the things that I've said on this tape and basically the whole teaching that I've given on spirit, soul, and body. That when you come to Jesus and you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you truly believe on him, then there is an instantaneous change that takes place, but it's in your spirit, not in your flesh, not in your soul, or not in your body. The change is in your spirit. 
And whether that change ever manifests itself into your physical life is dependent on what you think. Because you've got the flesh, your natural self, pulling you in one direction and the spirit leading you in another. And the determining factor is how you think. If your mind is stayed on only physical things, it doesn't have to be sinful things, but just physical. You just be limited to and dominated by the physical realm, and you're after the flesh. And even though you may not be sinful by anybody's standards, you might be a very moral person, you will not experience the supernatural life of God. You won't be able to believe for a person to be raised from the dead because it... That goes beyond just living a good life. You've got to believe in something that there is no proof, no evidence for. There's no basis for your faith in the flesh, physical realm. The only way a person can believe for a person to be raised from the dead is to get beyond the physical and to acknowledge that there is a spiritual world, recognize your true power, and start believing in that, and you get to where the physical realm is not as real to you as the spiritual realm. And that not only applies to seeing people raised from the dead, but that applies to other healings. That applies to prosperity. There's times that I guarantee you there's going to be no basis of faith in your physical fact. Your bank statement won't prove it. But if you can be in the spirit, focused on what God's word says, you can see yourself prosperous when everybody else is coming against you to repossess your house, your car, and everything else. You can be spiritually minded, and whatever you think on is what's going to dominate you. If you are seeing your true potential and what you have in Christ, it will eventually manifest itself in your physical life. So really, one-third of our salvation is over. It's complete. Your spirit is not in the process of growing, being changed, anything. You are right this moment in your spirit the way you will be throughout eternity. And yet, you've got a physical body and a soul that hasn't been changed yet. Now, they're subject to change, and they can change, but it's not automatic. Your spirit change at salvation is total, complete, and it's automatic. But whether you ever see that true potential released into your physical life is dependent upon what you think. If you think on physical, natural things, either sinful or just carnal, natural things... And if that dominates you and controls you, you will shut off the flow of the Spirit of God through you. But on the other hand, if you think on spiritual things, which is word things, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you can dominate yourself with the truths of God's word and not be limited to just your five senses, then you can begin to start releasing this supernatural life that's on the inside of you. You can have a peace that passes understanding. Even when there's no physical reason in the natural for you to have peace, when everybody's against you, when it looks like everything is crashing, if you really are into the Word of God and focused on those truths, then the supernatural peace of God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, is what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And that's in John 14, 1. And he was saying that to his disciples the night before, their crucifixion, before his crucifixion. Most people would say that's unreasonable. There's no way that his disciples could keep from being troubled. Their Messiah, the one who they loved and worshipped, was going to be crucified. That's unreasonable. Well, it is beyond the natural physical ability. There is no way in the natural that they could have had 
uh, peace in the midst of something like that. But you know what? They weren't only natural. God had given them his word. They had access to God. And if they would have been thinking on what Jesus said about how that they're going to crucify me, but I'll rise again on the third day. If they would have thought on those things, you know what? They could have had peace in the midst of that trying situation. They couldn't have done it in the flesh, in their natural ability, but they could have done it through the Spirit. And that's the way you and I are. You and I have unlimited potential, but it's all in the Spirit. And if you want to walk in God's best, you've got to understand these truths we've talked about, spirit, soul, and body. You've got to recognize that your spirit is where all of your victory is. It's not in your natural talents. You don't get better as you grow in the Christian life. You don't get less carnal. You just get to where you let less carnality manifest and dominate because you're yielded, submitted unto the spirit instead of submitted unto the flesh. And how do you do that? It's all by what you think on. You spend less time thinking in the flesh and feeding the flesh. Instead, your focus is in the spirit. Through the word of God, you see who you are and you just concentrate on that. You get around people who speak the faith and the positive and the potential that we have in Christ instead of around people who are grippers and complainers. And you just get to where you develop an entire mentality, a new identity in Christ based on who you are in the spirit, not based on what you see in the mirror. You recognize that nothing can separate you from the love of God because your spirit has been sanctified and perfected forever. And God is a spirit. And God sees you in the spirit. And God is not giving you what you deserve based on your physical actions and your thoughts in your flesh. But rather, he deals with you in the spirit realm. Man, if you can understand the things that we've talked about, I can promise you this will change your life, I believe, more than anything else that you've ever received from God. I also want to just make this point clear. I've said it before, but it needs to be said. It is not a one-time thing. It's not just like something you learn and then you got it. You are constantly being fed information, or you could say it this way. You are constantly being drawn in one of these two directions, the flesh or the spirit. The Holy Spirit is always trying to draw you towards God and recognize who you are in Christ, your new identity. The world, Satan through the world, through the news media, through movies, through print, through magazines, through association, sad to say many times even through church organizations who are mistaken in some of these areas, there is just a constant draw trying to get you to accept defeat and accept you can't do this, you can't do these things when God is saying you can do all things through Christ. The world is saying, no, you can't do anything. You're a failure. And you know what? You're constantly having your mind fought over. The battle is in the mind. The battle is over your mind. And so it's not just something that you learn one time. You can't just say, oh, I've got it. It has to be a continual process. And it has to be a constant renewing of the mind, something that takes place over actually a lifetime. And so I want to encourage you, the things that God has spoken to you, and that if you've received truth through these teachings on spirit, soul, and body, you need to go back to it. You need to keep these tapes and meditate on it and go back. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it maybe in two or three months or a week or whatever, but then save them and go back a few months later and then a year later because you'll need these things refreshed. And I promise you that's the way it is with me. These are the truths that God spoke to me 32 years ago. 
And, of course, he's been expanding, developing, giving more understanding. But actually, I began to see these concepts 32 years ago, and I'm still dealing with it. I'm still in the process of renewing my mind. Even the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, after all of those years, we don't know exactly how many, but at least 20, on up to 40 years of serving God, he says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, I'm pressing on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, after all of those years, was still pressing towards that mark. I'm still pressing towards that mark. Some of you may think, well, man, that's a little discouraging. I'm, I, here I am, 20, 40, 50, 60 years old, and I'm just now learning this. You're telling me there's another 20 or 30 years? I can't wait that long. But you don't have to wait that long to start seeing results. But I'm just saying you never arrive, you just leave. And there will never be a time that you can leave quicker than right now. If the Lord has spoken to you through this teaching, then you need to leave right now. You need to leave that carnal, fleshly mind and start being dominated by the Spirit. Find out these realities of who you are in Christ and start letting those truths dominate you. And if you do, then all you'll get is life and peace. It's really that simple. It's not that easy. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do is to change your focus from what you see with your eyes to what you see with your heart through the Word of God. But it is that simple. And the way you do that is through the Word of God. That's the way you renew your mind. That's the way you become spiritually minded. So I want to encourage you with these truths. I really believe that God has spoken some things through this tape series that could change your life, but it's going to take some effort on your part, some focus on your part. And the good news is God wants you to know this and walk in it more than you want it. If you will make an effort, if you will head in that direction and just acknowledge it, God, it's going to take a miracle to renew my mind. My mind is so stayed in the direction that it's gone that, God, I need your help. If you'll do that, the Holy Spirit is sent to reveal Jesus unto you, to show you who you are in Christ, to show you spiritual truth and reality. And so it can happen. It just takes a commitment and effort on your part. Father, I agree with these people who have listened to these tapes. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would open up their heart, reveal these truths unto them, and Father, I know it's not just a one-time thing. I know it's a process. Father, I pray that you would give them results quickly and let them see it to encourage them so that they would continue the process and just go from glory to glory, get greater and greater in seeing your spirit dominate instead of the flesh. Father, we believe that, and I believe that you'll use these tapes to bring it back to their remembrance. Father, help them to share these truths with other people, and we just thank you. Praise God, we are going to walk in the Spirit, and the end result will be that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these truths. And Father, we receive it. Hide this word in our hearts so that we can not sin against you. And we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 
80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.